Well, good morning, church. It's good to be here with you guys. I want to welcome all of our campuses as well as our online viewers. We're glad that you guys are with us as well. If you're new, my name is Jeremy. I'm one of the pastors here. We're in a series called Luke, season two, which is the study of Jesus's life, and we'll eventually get to his death and resurrection. And uh, this is part four. So I'm going to preach a message to you today titled, How Jesus Changes People, How Jesus Changes People. People. Uh, just curious, how many of you remember the last time you were lost? Hopefully it wasn't this morning, right? Um, I remember not too long ago uh, getting lost even though I had directions. I don't know how that happens. Like literally had the directions and still got lost. Thanks, Siri. Um, this happens to my mom, by the way, often she has not Siri, but this old British guy. We call him Sir Edward, and she gets lost all the time. So it's probably running in the family, I think. But how is it that we have so much technology at our disposal nowadays, and yet we still get lost? What is true geographically sometimes in our life is true spiritually in the life of a guy that we're going to look at today from Luke chapter 19. His name is Zacchaeus. And we're going to see through this passage how Jesus relates to Zacchaeus, someone who is lost, that needs to be found. Now, before we dive into the passage this morning, we might want to ask, especially if you're new to church, new to the Bible, what does it mean to be lost? Like, what does it mean for someone to be lost? Um, biblically speaking, I'm going to give you a picture from the Bible. Uh, there's a passage in Luke chapter 15. So if you rewind your Bible, maybe a few chapters um, from Luke 19 to Luke 15, there's a story that you probably, some of you are familiar with, called the parable of the lost son or the parable of the prodigal son. What makes that son lost? And the answer when you look at the story is that the son was lost because he was separated from his father. So biblically speaking, when we talk about someone being lost, we're talking about a separation from our heavenly father. And the separation is caused by one thing, sin. Our sin, the Bible says, separates us from God. And not only does the Bible say that our sin separates us from God, sin is anything that falls short of God's glory. That separates us from God, but it does something worse. It kills us. Literally, the Bible says that the wages or our paycheck, what we earn because of falling short of God's glory, is death. The wages of sin is death. And so when you look at the story of the prodigal son, the younger son in that story was lost and he was dead. He was dead because of how he treated his father. The whole, the whole town, the whole community would have said, you're, you're dead to me. He's dead, but he's lost because he grabbed onto his inheritance, literally takes it from his father and he wanders away into a foreign land and he squanders it on wild living. So that is a biblical picture of what it means to be lost. The question is, do we have that kind of lostness in our culture today? And the, the answer is, absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, you and I probably know hundreds, if not thousands of people who have made an intentional decision to dive headfirst into reckless living, leaving them separated from their Heavenly Father, separated from a relationship with God. And so that's not just a biblical picture, that's also a picture of our own lives. So these are people, here's how I would define it, these are people who search for significance, meaning, fulfillment, and stuff, only to be left feeling completely empty because they're looking in the wrong direction. They are lost. They have, they have 
invested their life into wild and reckless living. That's one form of being lost. By the way, there was another brother in that story, if you're familiar with the parable of the prodigal son, the older brother. And the older brother, we learn, at the end of the story, was just as lost as the younger brother. And it was actually the older brother that wasn't even found. He's still on the outside of the home looking in because when he hears about his younger brother coming back and his father bringing the fattened calf and a robe and a ring and celebrating, he says, I want nothing to do with this reckless celebration of grace. And so at the end of the story, he's still the one separated. The story shows that you can be lost, dead, even when you're in religion or where you're irreligious. But for our story in particular today, we're going to look at someone who is on the the front half, the, the first example that I shared. Someone who is on a path in their life that they don't want to be on, but they don't know where else to turn. What does Jesus have to say to that person? What hope does Jesus give for that person? How does Jesus literally change and relate to those who are lost? So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Luke chapter 19, uh, or you can follow along on the screen this morning. Ten verses. This is what the Bible says from the Gospel of Luke. He, this is Jesus, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. Maybe you're here today and you're just, you don't have a relationship with God yet. You're just kind of checking things out. You're literally seeking to see who Jesus was. This is a perfect story for you to learn from today. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled, he has gone in to be the guest of a man who was a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. A uh, little background about this guy named Zacchaeus. He was a guy who everyone loved to hate. And the reason why everyone loved to hate was because of his profession. He was a tax collector. Tax collectors in that day were despised. And the reason why they were despised was because they got really good at stealing other people's money. Uh, Lying, stealing, cheating people out of their goods. And not only was he a tax collector, but the Bible says he was a chief tax collector, meaning he, he had a pyramid scheme going on. He trained other people to steal money from the crowd. And as a result, he was a guy everyone loved to hate. And so one day, Jesus steps onto the scene, and he quite, creates quite the stir. And so Zacchaeus, of course, has to find out what's going on. But the problem was, as the Bible just told us, he was a wee little man. He was small in stature. He couldn't see over the crowd. So he does what every dignified man here today would do. He climbs a tree. He climbs a tree. And uh, I don't know if you know this or not. Some of you probably will remember this song. Um, but there's a children's song about this particular story. Now, you know that I, I didn't grow up in church with flannel graphs and corny songs, but I did go to a Bible college, and I remember my preaching professor making his class get up in front of everyone during chapel and sing this song. So I thought, what better way to do this than to make you all 
not come up here, but you guys sing this song with me. At all of our campuses, we're going to do a little participation time, okay, during the sermon. So I'll go first. I'll sing this song, and then we'll all, um, we'll all join together. Pastor Levi, get ready, because you're going to be joining up here on stage as well. So here's the, here's the verses, okay? I'm going to go first. Yeah, okay, you get, get, get up here soon. You're on deck. You're on deck, all right? And just for fun... Why don't we have all the campus pastors watching right now get on stage for their campus? That would be fun, huh? Pastor Stu's really good at these hand motions. This song is, is perfect for this. So here it is. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He, not yet. This is my solo, okay? <laughs> he climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And when the Savior passed that way, he looked up in that tree and said, Zacchaeus, you come down, for I'm going to your house today, for I'm going to your house today. That's a donkey riding, okay? Come on, come on, come on. Pastor Levi's going to join me. Welcome, Pastor Levi and our campus pastors. Ready? You do the motions for sure. Oh, definitely the motions. You got him, Kent? Can you see him? Yeah, 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 yeah. While you were in college learning this song, I was in Sunday school. Oh, good, good, good. Here we go. Ready, church? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up on the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And when the Savior passed that way, he looked up in that tree and said, Zacchaeus, you come down, for I'm going to your house today. For I'm going to your house today. Good job. How did I do? Was that the remix version? Because I don't even know if I did it right because I didn't grow up in church. But that was, that was a good song. You're welcome. You're welcome. Now, you're welcome. Now, let's get back to the question that I want to focus on for this sermon. How does Jesus relate to lost people? What hope does he have? How does he change lost people like you and me. I've got three observations. Specifically, I want to show you how Jesus seeks the lost, how he stays with the lost, and how he changes the lost. That's my three points today. So number one is this. If you're following along, Jesus seeks the lost. Jesus seeks the lost. Look what it says in verse five, the first part of verse five. He says, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. Now, keep in mind, at this point in in the gospel story, Jesus is a pretty busy man, and yet he intentionally takes time out of his day to seek out Zacchaeus and pay attention to him. Why? Well, it could be because he's a man up in a tree, and that sticks out like a sore thumb, right? It could be, better yet, that he's more lost than my mom using Sir Edward. Like, he's, he's really, really in need, and Jesus does what? He looks, he stops, he pursues. This is exactly what he said in verse 10. says, for the Son of Man, which is another title for Jesus, came to seek and to save the lost. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. That's who Jesus is. He intentionally goes out of his way to seek people who are looking for fulfillment, who are lost, who are looking for purpose. They have no hope. Even today, the story is like 2,000 years old. Even today, Jesus is intentionally seeking the lost. So he sees this man in the tree, 
and he says these words, Zacchaeus. I find this interesting. Zacchaeus. Does he know who Zacchaeus is? I don't know. The text doesn't indicate that he's ever met Zacchaeus before this day, but yet Jesus knows Zacchaeus' name, which shows us a principle that we've looked at before in the scriptures, that long before Zacchaeus knew Jesus, Jesus knew Zacchaeus. Jesus not only knows his name, but he calls him by name. And the principle is the same for us as Christians. What is true of Zacchaeus is true of us. Jesus not only knows us by name, but calls us by name. I want you to stop and consider your story today. Where would you be without Jesus intentionally seeking you out? Where would you be in your life if Jesus didn't seek you out? I know for me, I would, I would have no hope at all. Um, I didn't always grow up as a Christian. I wasn't exposed to like good doctrine and solid sermons and Bible studies. And yet Jesus sought me out when I was in high school when I least deserved it and certainly least expected it. And my life's been changed because he's the one that initiated that relationship. And my life has been changed forever since. You know, when I think about Jesus' hunt you down, never giving up, always and forever type of love, I'm thankful. And I'm not only thankful, but I'm reminded that he always does that. He's continually looking for people who need to be changed, who need to be found. Um, a few weeks ago, I think it was, I shared the story where last fall I was at a pastor's retreat with five other pastors. We were kind of iron sharp and iron doing some training. And uh, we went out to eat at dinner time. It was a restaurant slash bar. So five guys walk into a bar. Sounds like a really bad joke. But we walk into, a, uh, walk into this bar, dinky bar, order some chicken wings. And we're kind of on the side. And there's like at least 12 to 15 guys at the bar um, just drinking. And uh, over the course of the night, one of those gentlemen comes over from the bar and starts talking to us, and he starts unloading his story. Uh, and he knew that something was different about us. We told him that we were pastors, and he started sharing that his life was in shambles, that his wife had cheated on him recently, and they were going through a separation. And he, he starts li literally tearing up and crying. We were able to pray for him and carry that burden with him and offer him some hope, the hope that Jesus gives. And it was a reminder to me that God is always in the business of seeking out and saving those even in the most unlikely of places, like a bar or a tree. Jesus will seek people out. This is what our God does. He seeks the lost. Number two, this is what Jesus does. Jesus stays with the lost. Jesus stays with the lost. Look at the second half of verse Five. It says, Zacchaeus, that Jesus said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house. I must stay at your house. Um, scripture teaches us that Jesus is the author, the writer, and the perfecter of our faith. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Scripture teaches us that he who began a good work will bring it to completion. Philippians 1, 6. So he's the starter and he's the sustainer of our faith. And the way that he brings about that good work in our life is he comes to into every area of our life to stay. In other words, he literally comes into our house, into our life to stay. I'm sure you probably know this already, but if you want to get to know someone well, you should invite them into your home, right? I've, I've, I've heard it said like this before. If you, if you want to get to know someone, invite them to your house. If you really want to get to know someone, go to their house, right? Hannah, Kyler, we were talking about this earlier. This is true. This is what ha what's happening here in Luke chapter 19. Going to someone's house brings the relationship to a whole nother level. And so here in Luke chapter 19, Jesus invites himself to Zacchaeus' house. 
He brings his presence to the table. Literally, he brings his presence to where people are at. This is what we see with Zacchaeus. The result is the onlookers hated this. They're seeing Jesus hang out with Zacchaeus and invite himself to his house. And what is the result? Remember what verse 7 said? Verse 7 gives us the answer. They all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner? They hated this. Now, the crowd is furious that Jesus is hanging around the lost when they think he should be staying with the found. There's some tension in there, isn't there? There's some tension there. Of course, we want all lost people to be found. As Christians, we want all lost people to be found. That is, if we like them, right? But what about the people we don't like? What about the Zacchaeuses running around town that are very, very different from us? I mean, let's get real. When Jesus shows grace to people that we don't like, sometimes we don't like that. The people who are the onlookers who are grumbling and complaining about Jesus going into this sinner's house kind of, if you were in that culture too, kind of had a, a good point. Because at this point in the story, Zacchaeus is still a chief tax collector. Like, Zacchaeus is still taking advantage of people, and people didn't like him whatsoever. So the grumbling crowd is so focused on Zacchaeus' sin that they can't see that the Savior is trying to save him from his sin. They're totally wrapped up in this self-righteous. They're lost. They're lost. So some of us, I think, might be guilty of some of the same things. A lot of times our focus is on the sinner rather than the Savior. We may say things like, you know, that they're always going to be that way. They're never going to change. They're always going to do those things. Having that type of mentality puts way much more faith in the sinner's ability to sin rather than the Savior's ability to save. It's messed up. We become just like this crowd. So we see a crowd that's upset, but we also see another guy. We see a guy that's thrilled. You catch that in verse 6? It says, so he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. When everyone else rejected him, he receives Jesus with joy. I want you to consider this. I think I got this line from uh, Andy Stanley at some point along the way. But he says, people who are nothing like Jesus actually like Jesus. Like lost people who are the outcasts of society that no one liked actually liked Jesus because of how Jesus treated them. That when they looked at Jesus, they saw someone who was completely full of truth. Like he didn't mince words, he didn't sugarcoat anything or water anything down, but he was also full of grace. And he had this perfect blend, perfect fusion of grace and truth, truth and grace. And that combination was so attractive to people that they flocked in. And that combination is still so attractive today, church. So Jesus seeks the loss, he stays with the loss, and number three, Jesus changes the lost. Look at verses 7 and 8 uh, again with me. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He was gone to, to be the guest of a man who was a sinner. Verse 8, and Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Bottom line is when you spend time with Jesus, your life changes. 
Zacchaeus says, half of my goods I give to the poor. That's pretty amazing when you consider that this guy lived a life of sin and injustice, but the day that he meets Jesus, he's not only saved, but he's changed. Or I would say changing. Like he's entered into the process of becoming more like Jesus. I think, think about how powerful that scene would have been. Zacchaeus is standing in front of a group of people who hate him, who he's wronged. And he says to the crowd, I'm going to change. I'm going to change. I'm, I'm going to repent. I promise I'm going to repent. You know the amazing thing about the story? He actually does. He actually does. Luke records that Zacchaeus fully intended to restore fourfold to those whom he had defrauded. Now, whether that statement is a hyperbole or not, the, the point is clear. He made other people rich while making himself poor. He was a changed man from the inside out. Meaning that Jesus did a good work in him. He no longer found his identity in his wealth and his riches in this world and fulfillment in this world, but he found his fulfillment in Jesus. Now, what I find interesting is that when you look at this verse, at no point, go back, at no point does Jesus say, okay, if you're going to follow me, this is what you got to do. Now, he's, he's, he's done that before in the Gospels, but in this story, the change didn't come from the outside in to Zacchaeus. It actually seems like Zacchaeus, because of spending time with Jesus, was changed from the inside out. He wasn't pushed, he wasn't coerced, he wasn't threatened, but it was God's loving kindness that led Zacchaeus to repentance. So here's the point. When you spend time with Jesus, you change. When you spend time with Jesus, you change. It's biblical. It's biblical. Like, remember what Jesus said to his disciples in John 15, 5, one of the very first verses that I memorized. Jesus says to his disciples, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. It's your classic vine branch illustration, right? We all know that branches cannot produce fruit in and of themselves. They need to be connected to what? A life source. They need to be rooted. They need to be connected to the vine. And what is true of a branch is also true of Christians. The way that we change is by staying in step with the Spirit, staying connected to the vine, being in God's Word, spending time with Jesus. And when you spend time with Jesus, He changes you. Not by coercion, not by threat, not by hitting someone over the head with a Bible, but just by being in His presence. It's His loving kindness that leads us to repentance, meaning... That when you spend time with Jesus, when you spend time with, with other believers, when you spend time in church and in fellowship with the church, guess what? You change. It's the way it works. You, you, you become more and more like Jesus. You know, I love about our churches, our church is literally full of stories who have been changed by Jesus. Um, all five of our campuses were at a point where it was do or die. You know, they were down to a few people. Um, Wellsville grew from 40 to what they are now. And every other campus grew from about 12 to 15 people to, to what you guys see now. And it wasn't in large part from stealing sheep from other churches. It was going into the community for people who are lost and broken and hopeless and trying to find fulfillment and meaning in stuff. And end of the day, they, them feeling empty and, and reaching those people and, and seeing God do a good work in their life. Those are the stories that we have in our church um, one of the things that we do every year, and it's on the website, you saw it in the Need to Know video, is we do an impact report, not an annual report, 
but we call it an impact report because we want to report back to the congregation what God is doing and how he's making an impact through your generosity and through your serving. And so check this out on our website. You can go right to the homepage. But I want to read to you two stories from this impact report. Um, every year I ask the campus pastors to identify one story, at least one story that they can share from, from the congregation to the whole church of what God is doing and how he's changing lives and uh, connect it to the core values. So I want to share a story from our arcade campus. Uh, this gentleman named Mike, here's his story. He said, I was facing an unexpected divorce. Two things I remember doing at this time, running for my Bible and finally understanding what it, comes, what it means to come to the end of myself. Growing up, my view of God was a bit different. Raised Catholic, I had been taught to fear God like if you make one mistake, God will be mad at you forever type of fear. And so after school, after high school, I lived my way for many years. I attended church here and there, but had no real relationship with God. I always knew he was there, but I still did things my way. Then came the unexpected divorce. I said, okay, God, I'm done doing things my own way. I'm yours. A few friends God put in his life during that time suggested he, he uh, attend Crosstown. And so after a few weeks of attending Crosstown, he heard Pastor Stu mention a men's small group meeting. And on Wednesday, and he jumped right in, gathering, sharing, and listening with other men about the ups and downs of life was very beneficial for my walk, Mike said. Now I'm seeing things through a different perspective. I have learned so much about the love of God by studying the gospel, by being around other believers, and hearing their stories. My fear of God is still there, but now it's a reverential fear. It's a respect. I laugh when I think of how God is always, is, has a way to bring us back to him. If we let him and trust him, it's been over a year, and God has been faithful through it all. Even in our brokenness, God brings hope. In our despair, he's the light that we need. Um, there's this story from a younger lady at our Wellsville campus named Kylie, Kaylee. Sorry. Um, she says, I was far from a faithful believer when I started coming to Crosstown. Correction, my parents started attending, and thank God in hindsight, they dragged my sister and I to church. I was an absolute terror filled with anger, lustful desire, and purely selfish intent. I was sent off to snow camp 2019 with destructive intentions in mind. I strictly remember going up to the mic and telling everyone how unhappy I was. I remember thinking I would feel super tough and cool by doing this, but soon as I sat back down by my sister, I wept bitterly, like in her words, an ugly cry. For the rest of the day, I wondered why I was so distraught and why I was so sad and disappointed in myself. That night, my cabin leaders, two amazing women I appreciate to this day, and cabin mates prayed over my sister and I. And for the first time, I felt so open I shared everything and more, and most importantly, that night I prayed for the very first time. A messy and very distorted prayer, but a prayer nonetheless. Asking God to come into my heart, erase my sin, shame, and guilt, and ultimately change me. Two months later, I was baptized on Easter. If you know Kaylee's story, she's not only an attender who's been changed by Jesus, but now she's a servant being used by Jesus. She says, coming back to camp as a leader has been incredibly controversial. I like how she uses that word, controversial for me. I've always felt a deeper connection and comfort with helping our wonderful KidZone kids, which she serves in KidZone. But the teenagers are absolutely terrifying. 
Can I get an amen from a parent? When asked to serve, I gave a hesitant yes. I was excited but nervous. Would I be a good and godly leader? Can I guide these kids or only a few years younger to see God's presence? I know God has provided me peace and strength in many worries, and I also know he has surrounded me with so many experienced men and women of God to help me help students. My biggest takeaway joining the leader team is this. Don't be afraid to ask God for help, and don't be afraid to ask other believers for guidance. We're going to mess up and disappoint someone. I do it all the time. So own it. Bring your convictions to God. Repent. Apologize. Never stop trying to be more like Jesus and pursue his glory. You're never too young to become who God created you to be. You're never too old to become what you might have been. Both these stories share God's amazing love to lost sinners like you and me. Amen, right, church? You can praise God for his faithfulness. You know, uh, Luke, Luke 19, Zacchaeus' story shows how Jesus interacts with people who are lost, who need to be changed. We see these three things. We see Jesus seek the lost, Jesus stays with the lost, and Jesus changes the lost. I'm sure some of you listening to this message today probably remember the day, like the day or the season or the year of your life where everything changed for you, like where you met Jesus, where you became a Christian. And as I was reflecting on this story, I'm thinking, I bet you Zacchaeus does as well. Like even now in heaven, like I bet you he remembers that day because that day wasn't just a tale in a book. It was a literal historical day some 2,000 years ago where every day thereafter was different because he met a man named Jesus. The same is true for, for us as well. I want you to put yourself in this story. Put yourself in this story. Jesus seeks you out. He invites you into himself into your home. He spends time with you, and in his presence, you're changed. And even though you had to give up some things, here's the thing. You gained everything. What did you lose? You lost your old life. You lost your appetite for sin. You lost your desire for this world and the things of this world. You lost your shame. You lost your regret. But what did you gain? You gained everything that matters. You gained forgiveness. You gained grace. You gained mercy. You gained purpose and hope and freedom. You gained fulfillment and meaning and purpose for this life. Like, literally, you gained everything. You had to give up a few things. That's Zacchaeus' story. I got I to gotta right some wrongs. I got to give up some things, and I got to leave a lifestyle, but I gained Jesus. And I'm sure he is so thankful for that day making that decision. So just like Zacchaeus' story, when, when Jesus changes you, everything changes, but it's always for the better. Um, 14 years ago, I, uh, this was a month before my very first sermon. I think we still lived in Texas. I coordinated by email, and I asked the people of the Wellsville Alliance Church, which is the church's name at that point in time, to, to write a one- to two-page story of how God changed their life. I asked them three questions. What was your life before Jesus? How did you meet Jesus? And what difference has he made in your life since? And um, I collected those stories. And I put them in a binder, and I still have them today. And I often refer back to this very notebook to remind me 
why I became a pastor. That I desire to see changed lives by the grace of God. That I know that if I can get people introduced to Jesus, Jesus will do a good work in their life. That's why our church exists, by the way. Now, I was thinking about this and reading through some of these stories this week and looking at this notebook. I thought, how cool would that be? I mean, I was blessed by this 14 years ago, but how cool would it be at all of our campuses if you would do for your campus pastor what the Wellsville Church did for me years ago? And so what I'm going to encourage every single person here to do at all of our locations, and even those watching online, I want you to write up for me and for your campus pastors a one to two-page story that answers these questions. Who you were before Jesus, how you met Jesus, and then how has he given your life purpose and meaning since? How has he changed your life since? My hope is that the campus pastors can collect these, and they too would be reminded of why we do what we do. And it would be a great tool for you to actually think through your Zacchaeus story. Every single one of you in here, if you know Jesus, you have a Zacchaeus story that's worth sharing. The way we say it is found people find people. When you discover the greatest news in the history of the world, which is your story, you'll naturally want to share it with other people. In order to do that, though, you kind of have to write out the chapters of that story. And so it's good for you, but it's encouraging for your campus pastors as well. Now, for those of you who don't know Jesus, maybe you don't yet have a Zacchaeus story at this point in history. Um, maybe you're just kind of checking out the truth claims of Christianity. Like, literally, you're climbing some trees. I would say this. A tree is a great place to be, but it's not a great place to stay. It's great to really lean into the truth claims of Christianity because it solidifies and anchors why you believe what you believe if you actually come to faith in Jesus. But just looking from afar is not a, place, a great place to stay. So my prayer for for you, this past week has been, if you don't know Jesus but want to know Jesus and you sense him calling your name, like he knows your name and he's calling you by name, the Bible is very clear that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God the Father raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Today, today, to borrow a phrase from Luke 19, could be the day that salvation comes to your house. And so if that's you, with everybody's heads bowed and, and eyes closed, I'm going to pray a prayer out loud, and if God is stirring in your heart to ask for forgiveness, to start a relationship with Jesus, to be filled with his spirit, to change you from the inside out for the glory of God, then pray this prayer silently to yourself as I pray it out loud. Pray something like, dear Jesus, I'm recognizing that today I'm a lot like Zacchaeus. I've tried to find meaning and fulfillment and purpose and hope into things that are of this world rather than looking beyond to someone and something greater. And I'm recognizing today that just as Zacchaeus did everything he could to, to seek out Jesus, that before that even happened, before I even came to the service today, that you were seeking me out. So Jesus, I lay my life down before you and I surrender my hopes, dreams, desires, certainly my sin, where I fall short of your perfect standard and I ask you to forgive me 
to clean me and to make me right before God the Father. This is my expression of faith. I don't have all the answers, but I'm crying out to you to save me. I have this inner sense that I'm lost and I need to be found. And so would you please fill me with your spirit and help me live for you from this moment forward. And it's in Jesus' name I ask this. Amen. Friends, if you just prayed that prayer to receive Christ, would you do me a favor? In fact, everybody could do this now to participate. Take the connection card out that you filled out at the beginning of the service, or maybe you still need to fill that out. And on the back side of that, if you just prayed to receive Christ, there's a next step that says, I want to become a Christian for the first time. Uh, you just prayed with me, surrendered your life, and I would, I would ask that you let us know. And so at the end of the service, when we receive those cards, and the way we do that is kind of two ways. One, you can just drop that into the box on the way out in the foyers at all of our locations, or you can hand it to your campus pastor or hand it to an usher greeter on the way out. You're at a Greece campus. They'll have a little basket for you to put that in there. That'll communicate to us. But we'd love to be able to celebrate you and pray for you and help you get started in your relationship with God, give you a Bible and answer any questions that you have. There'd be no better decision today than for someone to give their life to Christ as this day is the day of salvation. I want to invite our worship teams to come forward as we, uh, as we close in worship. Lord, thank you for your loving kindness that led each and every one of us to repentance. Where would we be without the grace of God? Lost. That's where. We would be hopeless. We would still be on the rat treadmill of just chasing after the things of this world. Thank you for seeking us out. Thank you for your forgiveness that you've offered. Thank you for intentionally calling us into your house to come over and to spend time with you and in your presence we're changed. So I ask, Lord, that you would help us continue to become more like Jesus by his grace for your glory. And it's in Jesus' name I ask this. Amen.